1: Thank you for downloading the very first episode of this brand new intersectional feminist podcast series, Kicking Kicking the the Kyriarchy, with me, Elena. And me, Sid. So before we get into the nitty gritty of this podcast that I know you're all dying to hear, I think there are some things that we need to define first. So first up, intersectionality. What the heck is that? Intersectionality is a theory in feminism first coined by Kimberly Crenshaw in 1989. And this suggests that there are multiple facets to a person that are interacting, often simultaneously, and that can contribute to systematic injustice and social inequality. What does that mean? So things like gender, race, class, sexual orientation. The things that make up a person. Right. What made you realise that intersectional feminism was important? The first time I realised that intersectional feminism was important was when I watched a video uh, explaining what, quote, white feminism was and how it can essentially negate the existence of non-white people. The video basically explained that, yes, as a woman, you will experience disadvantages to some degree, but your experiences of gender inequality will be different to theirs. So, for example, beauty standards. Beauty standards suck in general, but it's even more difficult for women of colour to adhere to conventional white skinny Ideas of beauty, so it's just about being aware and supportive of the issues that we all individually experience. So what the heck is Kyuki karyaki So I think you can get from that that we don't really know how to say kariyaki, but we do know what it is exactly. So to put it into context, a common phrase associated with white feminism is SMASHING THE PATRIARCHY! However, the word patriarchy is problematic as it only identifies one way in which a person can be privileged, and that is to be a man. SMASH THE PATRIARCHY! would suggest that gender equality between men and women would be the end of all our problems in society. And just like intersectionality argues, this just isn't the case. If you had two people, a white, straight, cis, able-bodied woman and a black, gay, disabled man, under the term patriarchy, it would suggest that just because the man is a man, he is the more privileged or powerful one. But in actual fact, the woman would be more powerful in this case. So as a result, the term kairiarchy takes all these characteristics into consideration and acknowledges the intersectional ways a person can be discriminated against or oppressed.
2: So what are the ground rules for this podcast? essentially we're gonna keep putting on this podcast we're gonna keep inviting you all to come on and talk to us about interesting things but it's only going to work if you call us out and we are totally prepared to be called out we do not know everything and we're not trying to suggest that we do so if we say something that doesn't work or it's not correct please tell us and we'll address it as quick as we can we want this podcast to be an environment where we educate each other that's us as listeners as guests and as uh, presenters exactly
1: exactly So for the first episode, we thought it would be a good idea to start as we mean to go on and address that all-important P word.
3: Penis! Privilege, Sid!
1: (laughs) So, for all all intents and purposes, we are two white, cis, middle-class, able-bodied women. Cis means not trans, and we'll go into more details at another point. This podcast is not about us. Uh Uh-uh. This podcast is a platform for other people and their stories who tend to be traditionally forgotten.
3: So in this episode, let's talk privilege with Ben, Sarah and Maddy.
1: Sarah, how do you define privilege?
3: It's receiving some sort of benefit according to how society reads you and what, if you fit in like nicely to the categories that society is comfortable with, depending on what they are and kind of ignoring the intersectionality of it all, that's when you begin to receive privilege um, if you are part of the majority or if you are part of what society seems to like.
4: Hello um, my name is Ben Hine Um, I'm a lecturer in psychology at the University of West London. Um, I teach uh, a lot of undergraduate psychology including a third year option module on gender and sexuality and I identify with a lot of labels that are heavily to do with privilege such as being white, being middle class, being cisgender, being able-bodied and being a straight man.
3: Hi, my name is Sarah Moore, Um, I'm 24 my pronouns are she and they I identify as queer, non-binary femme and I guess the the, the way that I experience privilege is very much dependent on the fact that I'm white, I'm able-bodied, I'm from a middle-class background, and I think that, that those kinds of things give me a, a very specific type of privilege. I receive benefits because of those things, um, regardless of the way, the, my intersectional identity. Hi, I'm Maddie. I'm
5: 21. I'm a master's student uh, in mental health studies at King's. I use the pronoun she. I identify as mixed-race, cisgender, uh, straight, female and things that make me privileged probably that that I come from a pretty well-off background and I've got a great education and sort of that I'm cisgendered I feel those are things
1: that give me privilege. Ben how would you define privilege then?
4: I think it's interesting to do that as an exercise as well because I think depending on where you fall in terms of your experience and exposure to privilege and what that is it would be the definition would be different. I would say privilege is a kind of system or or set of systems that serve to oppress certain groups of people based on their belongingness to different groups.
2: Why do we think uh, privilege is a difficult concept to understand and to grasp?
4: For me, my answer to that question would be because privilege is inherently blinding. So I can only really speak and come from it from a position of someone who, um, according to a lot of these different categories, would be deemed to have privilege. And therefore, I think that for for me, it was a difficult difficult concept to understand because I'd always be on I'd always been on the right side of so many of these groups. So I think that that's an issue why a lot of people, uh, or a lot of, an issue that a lot of people have with engaging with privilege is that they don't necessarily realise that they have it necessarily.
3: Yeah, I would I would agree. I think that um, a lot of people don't like being or don't like other people thinking that they have it easy or that they're not working hard for the things that they have Mm. and so kind of checking yourself and taking the time to kind of self-assess and and have that kind of frank realization of where you actually are given easy rides in life nobody likes being called out on it so it's and i think it's one of those things that you kind of have to be called out on to to understand why it affects you or other people or generally society in such profound ways like I think I I think I first became alerted to the concept of privilege when um, when I was at uni and it, kind of in a seminar and somebody called somebody out and they were like but that's easy for you to say and then kind of listed all the reasons why they benefit from privilege and why their their opinion was perhaps not as lived as the opinion of, of somebody else who was less privileged. And so that kind of gave me, or well, that was the catalyst to me kind of a, like checking myself and, and picking out all the ways that I receive privilege or experience privilege. So yeah, it's, it's interesting, I think. And it's, it's just more, I think it's really, really about self-awareness and having that ability to kind of lay yourself flat on the table and just really pick things out.
2: We just found this, um, this
3: analogy of privilege
2: uh, being like riding a bicycle but just read it very quickly let's say you and your friend decide to go cycling you cycle for the same distance but you take a different route. you take a route that's a bit bumpy more often than not you go down roads that are a slight decline it's very hot but the wind is usually at your back you eventually get to your destination but you're sunburned your legs are aching you're out of breath and you have a cramp When you eventually meet up with your friend, she says the ride was awful for her. It was really bumpy. The road she took was at an incline the entire time. She was even more sunburnt than you because she had no sunscreen. At one point, a strong gust of wind blew her over and she hurt her foot. She ran out of water halfway through. When she hears about your route, she marks that your experience seems easier than hers. Does that mean that you didn't cycle to the best of your ability? Does it mean that you didn't face obstacles? Does it mean that you didn't work hard? No. What it means is that you didn't face the obstacles she faced. Do you want to begin and tell us a little bit about... Your experiences of privilege.
4: I was talking um, before we came on air with this podcast about when I first kind of um, realised I had all this all this privilege, and I first kind of thought about this when I was doing my undergrad degree, and I did a third year module option on gender, and Dr Patrick Lehman, who teaches at Royal Holloway University, kind of started to get us to question. Um, those qualities about ourselves and what that meant for us. And that was the first time I realised that I was... Not the first time I realised I was a male, but it was the first time I realised what being a male might mean for me and what it might have meant throughout my whole life.
2: Can I just ask, you say that you identify as a male. So if male is about the biological sex, what's what's the difference for you between being a male and a man, or is that the same thing?
4: Yeah, that's really interesting. So um, in terms of, yeah, so I'm cisgender, so my biological sex is male, that's what I was assigned. And I also feel, I also identify with masculinity um, in terms of kind of my predominant gender identity. Um, what I would say is I tend to gender express differently. So gender expression is all about context-dependent behaviour. So you, for example, of a weekend... I might gender express both masculinely and femininely in the same weekend because I might be watching sports and drinking beer and uh, being around other men and I might be very masculine in that kind of uh, time frame. And then the next day I might, uh, you know, go for coffee with all the girls on my street and we'll gossip and talk about, you know, different things and talk about babies and things like that, which is very feminine. So I do feel happy identifying fundamentally as a man and having that gender identity but I do I am f- more fluid in my gender expression does that make sense
2: I understand where you're coming from Ben but I think what I would like to do is to ask you that when you refer to um biological sex you use the terms men and female and mm-hmm. then when you refer to gender identity to use the terms man and woman, but also like gender queer. and I appreciate that both are on spectrums but I think using the terms um interchangeably or like defining as male can be problematic and trans-exclusionary mm. and I think that I would even if I was with you in a cafe I think I would try and call, say say something like this
4: and that's great and you should keep doing so and I will remember that
1: I'm interested to know what sort of cis privileges you get then for people who don't know what cis privilege is
3: so the kind of cis privilege that I receive is that I don't get attacked on the street for the way that I look I mean I I do as much as women do which is a lot and way too much but if I were, for example, because I'm assigned female at birth, in my non-binary identity, I can be ve- feminine very comfortably. But if I was assigned male at birth and equally as feminine, life would be a lot harder. So because I'm read as a woman in a lot of different aspects, I am, I am receiving privilege. And also in a lot of ways, it's depending on the community. I think it can be difficult. Like I think in in the queer community. People respect, I mean this is just from, from my experience, this isn't um, this isn't gospel, but people res- tend to kind of address and acknowledge the presence of assigned male at birth queer femme identities to be more legit than f- assigned female at birth ones. I, I feel like I'm speaking in jargon a little bit here and I don't really know how like widely relevant this is, but I feel like even though I, in the heteronormative world, receive cis privilege, it means that a lot of the time, my femme identity can be erased in the queer community.
5: Maddie, uh, I recently, oh God, on my Facebook, I shared a BuzzFeed article. I'm normally not a big BuzzFeed fan. but uh, They posted an article which seemed to just sum up my life, and it was um, the struggles of being the token black girl. Uh, <laughs> um, because I grew up in a very predominantly white area. I think the only other students of colour at my school were uh, boarding students from Nigeria. And they were very perplexed by me because they thought everyone in Britain was white. So what was I doing here with my British accent? Yeah, it just sort of went through things like just people just touching my hair just without asking. (laughs) There was a rugby match and a football match on uh, like round now Near I Live. And there's just these sort of marauding bands of drunken people walking around the streets. And this one guy just reaches out his hand and just touches my hair. And it's just what makes people think that's okay, But it's just... I don't know it's just like it sounds like such a silly thing If I guess you've never had to experience it but just constantly like you know once a week at least having someone you know or you don't know just put in your hands you don't know where they've been in your hair because of its texture because of its noticeably slightly more um, African texture it's it's not a European hair texture Um, just because it's just I mean I guess sometimes it comes out of a sense of interest and curiosity which is great but just don't dive right in with your hands Mm -hmm. Um, but I think mostly growing up in, like I said, a predominantly white area, um, there was actually not so much overt racism apart from a few notable um, notable examples I can think of. Mostly it was like microaggressions, as you say, just stemming from ignorance mostly or, you know, stuff they'd heard their parents say. And, you know, they weren't really too sure and I'd try and correct them on it um, when I saw it because, you know, there's just certain things like just to do with, like... I think for me a lot of the times growing up very insecure it was like beauty standards we have a very european sense of beauty uh which is quite tough to adhere to when you're you know growing up 15 year old girl (laughs) and trying to fit in with your friends but you just don't because you look different um and that just sort of permeates every aspect of your life because as a society we put far too much pressure on beauty um just little things like Just being told to go back to my own country every so often. Like what, Norfolk? (laughs) You know? (laughs) Right, okay. Um, I mean I was born in Australia, but (laughs) you know. (laughs) But it's just yeah, I think I'm lucky (coughs) that I'm privileged that I haven't had to deal with too much overt racism in my life. But I know that a lot of people aren't So, yeah, I'd say that's a privilege of mine.
1: (laughs) Also, within the media currently, it's quite well known that Macklemore has just released a White Privilege song in 2005 and now a sequel, White Privilege, quite recently. And I think it's quite interesting to look at the two of them because the first one is more about um, the cultural appropriation of hip-hop and how can he participate in that sort of genre of music if he hasn't gone through the struggle that hip-hop was sort of born out of. And the second one is more about how he can be an ally. Like, Is it really his place to talk about Black Lives Matter? And things like that. And how do you feel on on this stance? Do you have an opinion on it? Do you feel like you can comment on Macklemore as a white rapper and sort of <laughs> he's sort of he's talking about white privilege and saying we need to like be aware of it, but at the same time he's benefiting from it because he's, he's getting money exactly.
5: Um, okay, I think that white privilege and the way that Macklemore describes it is um, not wholly American, but it's a very American thing. Like we did have the whole Stephen Lawrence case here. But over there, like, it's, it seems a lot more like a, a system, you know, a systemic thing. And I guess here it is as well, but to a lesser extent, I would say. I would say, um, yeah, the things he's talking about, like, at the same time, you're thinking, yeah, you're profiting from this. Um, you know, you're wondering if it's OK to culturally appropriate hip hop music, but it doesn't stop you from making the music. I think that anyone should be free to make whatever kind of genre of music they choose, no matter what it was born out of like I'm classically trained but I'm not from like a like in singing but I'm not from like a European background per se but you know you have to be mindful of what it was born out of I think what he's talking about is a bigger thing in America I think in Britain when it comes to privilege a huge thing which often isn't talked about is the class system so for example I you see me and you can see okay um I've got like obviously like some a lot of my features are quite you know African I'm mixed race you can tell that but um, I'd like to say I'm well-spoken. I speak the Queen's English. I've got an education. I come from a wealthy background. So, you know, that hasn't put me off. Like, I'm on a very, very similar playing field to a lot of my white friends. For, for example, you might have, like, um, you know, uh, a, a, like a white, anyone white my own age who perhaps did not have the opportunities in life, didn't have the, the wealthy upbringing, didn't have the education, and because of the way the class system works... I'd probably be more privileged than them.
1: Do you feel that you maybe have to kind of be, I don't know, almost exceedingly privileged to maybe be equal to some of your white friends? Because it, sort of, it sort of just came across a little bit like that because you were like, oh, you know, I'm well-educated. I've come, I've come from a very wealthy background. And the fact that you kind of said emphasis on very wealthy.
5: So my mum always said to me when I was little, she said, Maddie, as a woman and especially as a woman of colour, you have to be twice as good for them to view you half as well. I was brought up with that drummed into my mind. I don't know how PC that would be, um, but that's just what she told me. I think I really took that to heart, um, and I'm trying to like, deconstruct that now and be a bit you know, more critical of that way of thinking, because hopefully in a society we should all just be you know, judged by our merits and how hard we work and you know, what we contribute and who we are as people, rather, as you know, what we look like and our backgrounds.
4: Right. I just wanted to comment. Um, I think it, that that's really interesting about trying to kind of be exceedingly privileged in one area in order to counterbalance a lack of privilege in another area. Um, and I, I just thought that was a really um, interesting point. And I noted as well, um, when you were describing kind of your privileged areas about being uh, from a wealthy background, it, it seemed like They were viewed as, as counters, like counter-privilege kind of to, to counter points, if you were, if you have a point system or something, to try and equal out um, a lack of privilege in, an, in another area. Um, and like you said, it, it is unfortunate that we're not at a place where we can just view people on their qualities. Um, I think it was uh, an article I read that um, came out late last year about how um, there was a, a black woman. Um, she was um, submitting for, for jobs. Um, and she submitted 100 applications um, and she didn't get any uh, interviews at all and she actually started putting what she called a whiter name on her job application um, and she got many, many, many more interviews um, after she had done that. So it kind of speaks to how far away we are from being able to evaluate people based on, based on what they have to offer rather than just a, a snap judgment for, for a privileged or non-privileged group.
5: Can I make a little point about that as well? Just one of the pitfalls of thinking when you're thinking about white privilege. So it's funny because you know my name is just pretty. You wouldn't really know, like from my name, what background I have, or apart from the fact I've got a really Italian surname. One of the things when talking about white privilege is that it's important to remember that it's often western white privilege so you know i'm just gonna name drop my boyfriend here so he's he's white to talk to him you think okay well educated sounds a bit like he's from you know london that kind of thing but he has a lithuanian background and a very very lithuanian name and he's terrified that when he puts his name down on job applications they're going to look at it and think oh some immigrant so he often on his facebook he's shortened his name to create a more you know a more ambiguous slightly more western sounding version of it and that's how he presents himself he really feels that this is leaves him at such a disadvantage compared to his peers but but again he's a white he's a white guy who identifies as you know you know cis white male but then there's a sort of disadvantage that comes as well
1: so have you ever been in a situation maybe have you ever turned up to an interview and someone's gone like Oh. Kind of like a bit of one of those microaggressions where it's like no one's being racist but maybe they just weren't expecting you to be mixed race. Just because we've said before how maybe when you read books there was that whole controversy over them casting Hermione as a black woman yeah. and you just automatically assume that she's white but it never actually says what her skin color is.
5: I think that in theatre, it's such a wonderful transformative medium that I think you just cast the best actor, or you know, for the role. And I'm sure she'll be amazing. She's got some great theatre credit, and I mean, who really cares so long yeah. as she plays the part well?
1: But have you ever have you ever found yourself in a situation like that where? I mean, not that I've noticed. I mean,
5: yeah, I've I've always been quite successful when it comes to applying for jobs and things like that. I think. Possibly because I think as Ben made the point, I'm making up for my disadvantages by trying to become privileged in other areas. So no, I've never noticed anything like that personally.
2: Okay. Interesting. Maddie, have you ever experienced shadism? And could you explain what shadism is?
5: Okay, so shadism for people who don't know is basically when a certain skin tone is viewed as more attractive specifically in people of colour. So, for example, it's often been around. So there was a kind of a milder form of shadism in Britain up until just after around the Victorian times where people who were pale were considered more beautiful because they'd been inside, they were people of leisure, they weren't out in the sun doing manual labour. And you see a similar thing in India and you see a similar thing in the black community. A lot of it was exacerbated by colonialism. So when people saw the powerful Westerners coming over with their pale skin they wanted to be like them. So, you know, just I was in Trinidad visiting my extended family and uh, even though there's not a particularly white population, it's something like less than 1% of the population are white, something like 50% of the population are originally of Indian heritage and 49% of the population are originally like um, Afro-Caribbean and African heritage. And just sort of in the equivalent to Boots, you know, in the chemist and the pharmacy, there was skin bleaching creams Displayed prominently at the front with a big poster with um, a woman with lightened skin, and that was the beauty ideal. So I personally, I'm privileged because being someone who's mixed race, I have, and because of the kind of the lottery that you know <laughs> genetics is, I have quite a light skin tone. Whereas people like, so for example, it's seen as this huge thing that Lupita Nyong'o, the actress, is seen as beautiful. It shouldn't be. But because she has very dark skin if you think about all the other black women you see in Hollywood on TV such, such a minority of them have dark skin but yeah if you look at like any like it's not their fault like that they were born with the colour of skin that they have which is perceived as being more attractive by the black community and the white community people, you know, white women say oh Beyonce's got lovely caramel coloured skin and they don't think about what they say when they say it you know, whereas it's such a great thing that you're getting more and more visibility for um, women of colour and men of colour with much darker tones of skin and every kind of layer in between
1: So do you think that's a privilege then being a person of colour of having a lighter skin tone?
5: Definitely, yeah.
1: Do you think maybe you'd you'd be more likely to make it into showbiz if you have a lighter skin tone?
5: Oh, 100%. Then again, so in certain communities, so um, in London, I would be called a lighty, and that would be a detrimental thing. And I would get harassed and yelled at or something by certain unpleasant people who saw that as something to make a furore about. So it, it does depend on who you're with, but generally most of the power especially like when it comes to in movies and TV and where you see most people represented goes to people of colour with much lighter, lighter shades of skin. It's seen as more European,
2: therefore more attractive. <laughs> so why is privilege so hard to grasp as a concept?
5: I think privilege is a difficult concept for some people because if, if you are inherently privileged, it's harder to see things from other points of view. You can't judge someone unless you've walked a mile in their shoes, that kind of thing. There's this whole philosophy concept called imagine you're a bat, which is kind of a strange way to put it, but it's like if someone asks you to imagine that you're a bat, you can never imagine exactly how the bat feels. You can only ever imagine you as a bat. So it's like trying to imagine someone less privileged. You can only ever imagine your mind and someone less privileged. Like, well, why haven't they done X, Y, and Z? But it doesn't work like that when you've had different odds stacked against you. I think
3: that privilege can be difficult for people to grasp because it's, it's something that requires a lot of self-reflection and literally kind of laying yourself bare on the table and looking at all the different parts of who you are and your experiences that, that make you have it easier than other people. People generally don't like being called out and they don't like being confronted and challenged about the way that they live their life and the the things that they work hard for. So I think that that kind of leads to people generally kind of getting defensive as like an initial reaction to being called out on privilege. Because people don't like thinking that they have their life easy, and maybe some people do, because a lot of people, everyone has their struggles, but it's it's understanding that your struggles, like the analogy that we've just spoken about, your struggles are different to, to other people's, and it's understanding that.
4: It does make a lot of people feel very uncomfortable from both sides, because it's not very nice to understand on some fundamental level that you're disadvantaged, but it's also not very nice to understand on some fundamental level that you are massively advantaged versus other people it's not a very nice feeling and i know that kind of sounds a bit whiny like oh look at all this privilege i have and it's so hard to handle but it's not very nice for people to to think about it and because these ideas about which groups are you know better or more positive than other groups are so widespread and kind of insidious in terms of their nature um It's very hard to kind of unpick for a lot of people, okay, well, tell me exactly where my privilege began and what experiences have I had exactly that have contributed to this privilege. I think people struggle a lot with the kind of meta nature of of privilege, certainly.
2: Privilege being a male or being a man?
4: Interesting question. I think I would have to say privilege being a male because... I think so much of what is tied up with what I would view as my fundamental privilege of of being a biological man versus a biological woman, because so many people allocate that privilege just based on seeing me as a man, like just seeing that I am a man and I have certain bits and bobs. I think so much of the just snap, inherent, immediate privilege comes from the fact that, oh, you have a penis, therefore, you know, you are ahead in all these different areas the kind of Y chromosome price as as it were.
3: I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. I think that that the the characteristics that you're referring to are about gender presentation or gender expression Um, the way that you look can certainly have an effect on the kind of privilege that you receive Um, I mean that's probably the one of the biggest contributing factors but I wouldn't say that it's necessarily biological I know plenty of women who weren't who were assigned male at birth who don't receive any of the privilege that that you know cisgender men get and so I think it's it's far more about um, your gender identity and your gender expression than it is about your assigned sex at birth
2: just to interject and explain what's happening here because it is really interesting Ben Is saying that he has privilege because he has a penis, whereas Sarah is arguing that privilege is more about your gender presentation than it is about what's in your pants. Because, for example, some people are born with a penis but present as a woman, so femininely, and they don't get any of the uh, privileges that men get. So, for example, if someone walked down the street and they looked like a woman, they would probably still get wolf whistled.
4: I I understand that that perspective. I think that... I was trying to stress that I think people make very kind of fundamental decisions, and a lot of that is tied in with your biology and making these snap fundamental decisions. I mean, the reason I say that is because... I would say that I gender express very, very differently across different situations and I don't feel that maybe detriments my privilege massively if, I, if I'm acting particularly feminine. I think at least a, a significant proportion of the drive for privilege comes from just the way I, the, my, my physical makeup. But that being said, uh, part of the problem I think with this argument is who, who really knows, who really can pick apart what exact interactions and what behaviour I've done in my interactions, that has invited or, or kind of brought on that privilege. It's, it's very hard for me to kind of dig down into that. I, I think for me, do
3: you think that you have the freedom to express um, both masculinity and femininity across uh, different platforms and different experiences, like you've just mentioned, because of the fact that you receive this privilege? Because I know I know lots of people that might not look you know, like cisgender men who want the freedom to express their femininity and masculinity safely um, and don't have that privilege because of various factors. Do you think that your privilege allows you to to be a bit more kind of flexible with with the way that you um, express your gender?
4: Yes, probably. Yeah, now that I think about it, I think that there is a lot of behaviour that I might not be able to get away with if people didn't fundamentally view me as parts of other groups. Okay,
2: one more question, very quickly. Somebody around you says something offensive and you call them out and they turn around to you and say, yeah, but what do you know, you're a white guy. Is it still worth calling someone out if they say something that you know another group of people would find offensive?
4: Yeah, I mean, you you have to... I'm saying this as someone who all too often has not challenged.
3: Do you think that you would be more inclined to call people out um, on things that didn't directly affect you if you kind of prepared a response like if you were in like when I call people out, I know they're going to be like, well, they're gonna they're gonna bite back. So I prepare. I just have an arsenal of things that I can use as a reason to as to why I'm trying to step in and defend somebody, or to at least tell people why what they're saying isn't right. Do you think that you could like you would consider kind of doing the same sort of thing so that you can be an ally to women or to LGBT people or to whoever?
4: I mean, the the, the response I usually come back with is. Along the lines of what I was saying about how gender is restrictive for everybody and, the, you know, the only reason that I would, would say that thing is, is to try and, you know, challenge that idea fundamentally and deconstruct that idea fundamentally. I mean, when people kind of balk against things, it's because they don't want to understand it. And I think that's more of the challenge that people face is is breaking through people's kind of barriers to wanting to change, because this is part of the, the challenge that we have in deconstructing gender is that it's easy, it's so much easier to view the world in that way. And so I think that part of the challenge is persuading people that it is an important thing to think about, and that's not always an easy thing, especially when privilege is bound up and involved in that. So, for example, if we take the male example, it's, it's, it can sometimes be very hard to persuade and to Challenge. I've certainly found it very hard to challenge fellow men on their behaviour because there might not be the specific desire to change, and that might be bound up with with privilege, because it's much easier to stay in the position that you're in, no matter what the kind of effects are. Unfortunate it is.
2: I would come back at that with that would be when we would need you most. Yeah. Because um, <laughs> so having done a lot of work with university students who identify all kinds of different ways. I would still call someone out if they said something ableist or if they said something racist, even if I do not identify into those two categories. And I would say, I'm telling you this because what you're saying can be really hurtful and I know people who would actually not talk to you anymore or not feel comfortable around you anymore if you use that language around them. And if you want to know more about why that's offensive and what, then you could do the research because there are blogs about it and it's not my job to tell you. But um, what I do want you to know is that you're not always going to get away with saying that and you you should be aware of the power of your language. And also thinking about the platforms that we have access to, being an academic, and which is generally a male-dominated field, and probably most of them aren't feminists. I could be generalising. I'm happy to be corrected. That's probably where having a, a feminist voice is needed most, because if we don't make the spaces that we occupy fairer and more intersectional and more diverse, then what hope is there?
4: Well, I will make a pledge as part of this podcast that I will start to challenge much more um, and uh, I encourage everybody to challenge.
2: What what do you recommend for your friend or your ally or just somebody who actually wants to understand intersectional feminism, wants to understand privilege? What do you ask of them, however they may be privileged or not? Keep an open mind.
5: I mean, don't assume that because something is the way... that You've always thought about something in a certain way that it might not be true. Be prepared to be challenged, but and be prepared to listen to people who are less privileged than you because don't question their experiences that's just awful don't question the struggles that someone's had to go through listen to their experiences and learn from them and use it to inform your own knowledge
3: I think that's great that's exactly what I would say don't make assumptions on, on people's identity because of the way they look you know get to know somebody chat to them ask them questions ask them what their pronouns are ask people you know how how can you know how shall i refer to you what what are your pronouns just generally not making assumptions on you know how people identify according to the way they look or anything else for that matter or that you know their name it could anything just be confident and open-minded and and willing to learn and and ask, ask questions yeah
1: so that was Ben, Maddie, and Sarah talking to us about what they made of privilege.
2: One thing that stood out for us recording this podcast is that every one of us in the studio went to university and found out about privilege there. But we want this podcast to include all voices, especially those who didn't go to university. So tell us, how did you find out about intersectional feminism or privilege, especially if you didn't go to university?
1: You can tweet us at kickkairiarchy or visit our fancy new website at www.kickingthecariarchy.org.
2: There are a few things we reference in the podcast that we want to credit. The first one is the analogy of privilege is like riding a bike. That was by Sean Ferguson on the amazing website everydayfeminism.com.
1: The second thing we want to reference is that Ben talks about a study by Bertrand and Mullenathan in 2003 called Are Emily and Greg More Employable Than Lakeisha and Jamal? A field experiment on labour market discrimination.
2: And Maddie touches on the Imagine You're a Bat theory, and that was by Kara Spencer, my personal favourite.
1: So interact with us, we really want you to call us out, suggest a topic or apply to be a guest and you can do all of this on our website at www.kickingthecariarchy.org You can also check out Sid's awesome illustrations of all of our guests and even ourselves We really want to hear from you so please do let us know if there's anything on your mind
2: And as we're coming to the end of the podcast, how does privilege affect you, the listener, in your everyday life?
1: We really want to leave you with some concrete examples from Peggy McIntosh's essay on privilege, looking at things typically white men never have to think about.
2: So, for example, when I look at the history of my country, I see that people who are white like me made it what it is and are celebrated.
1: I can do well in a challenging situation without being called a credit to my race or gender.
2: I can criticise our government without being seen as a cultural outsider.
1: I can be reasonably sure that if I ask to talk to the person in charge, I will be facing a person of my race.
2: I am not made acutely aware that my shape, mannerisms or body odour will be taken as a reflection of my race.
1: I can worry about racism without being seen as self-interested or self-seeking. And if you're a
2: privileged guy and you're still listening but you're thinking it's not all men because you've never been racist and you've never sexually harassed someone,
1: well... All women have been sexually harassed and every person of colour has experienced racism at some point in their lives. So if it's not you doing it, you should be calling it out.
5: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken
0: or garlic-butter shrimp scampi.